while we do this, can we um, take up the offering? Because otherwise, I feel embarrassed later. Um, so, kia ora e I've had a cold the last week, um, which is not the worst of things in the world, though it can feel that way on occasion. And I like that, um, that verse, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Once we had not received mercy, now we have received mercy. One of the desires of my heart and I think of our heart is that more people may know the mercy received from God. Um, last week we had... Uh, oh, can you swap over to the... Um, Last week we had John Tucker speaking to us, talking about the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And it was part of, we're wanting to think about how we can, I think of it as neighbouring well, but that sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? Be good neighbours. We are alongside a whole bunch of people in our lives, where we live, where we work. There are people around us. We've had a tendency in the Christian world to think that mission is about going overseas to some other place, to Fawafistan, and that's where you do these big, bold things, and to forget that actually there are people around us now, there are people at hand. So, uh, forgive me if this is, seems a bit incoherent, I have had a cold, um, and I, I do want to say that I don't speak to you as if I have everything sorted. Actually, most good sermons, the person is also speaking to themselves. So I want to confess that I'm actually speaking to myself in this. Okay. Um, so let's have a little explore. Can anyone tell me, anyone guess what these people have in common? Let's see if we can make it a little bit easier. Does anyone know who any of these people are? Anyone, who, who's this chap here? Who's that? One more time. Oh, uh, sorry, uh, George Clooney. Yes, yes, that was the one I was confident you'd get. What about in black and white? Person? Bill Rowling. Give the man a medal and a moustache. Looking good. Um, it's, that's Bill Rowling. Yep. What about these two ladies here? Anyone know? We'll get there. <laughs> okay, so Bill Rowling did a short. St- it was it did a very short stint in New Zealand as Prime Minister, very short stint, um, but actually ended up being the New Zealand ambassador to America in the 1980s. He had the uncomfortable job of approaching Ronald Reagan, who was a bit of a Star Wars um, nut, not as in as the defence program rather than the film series, and. Uh, he had to approach Ronald Reagan and say, New Zealand wants to be nuclear-free. No, your warships may not dock here. And you can imagine that would be slightly tricky. George Clooney? Okay, in a tragic attempt to sound like I was, if not hip, at least in the same world as the rest of us, he is a brand ambassador <laughs> for Nescafe and those little pod things, which I think he's um, regretting now because it turns out they're really bad for the environment. And what about the, the next lady? That's Rosemary Banks. She's the current New Zealand ambassador to the United States. Or I mistyped it as the untied states of America. <laughs> and she's had the job of representing New Zealand to the United States in a phase when they have been disinterested in international relationships. They've been interested in their attending to their own knitting. Um, 
So that's been a tricky day. And the lady on the far, on, uh, closest to me, is Claire Fernley. And she's the current ambassador to China. So how do you think she's getting on right now? Yeah, those of you who've been reading the paper, not an easy job uh, with recent comments about Hong Kong's and eyes being plucked out. She's, uh, these are all ambassadors. What do ambassadors do? What's that? They represent. You, generally, apart from George here, you generally don't know who they are if they're doing a good job. They're building up relationships with some other country. Now imagine for a moment that you've been selected by New Zealand and sent off to Farofistan. And uh, there you are, you're sent to meet the leader of Farofistan and they, they think they'll play a trick on you, so they ask you a question. And they say, uh, you've only got one word to answer with, what one word would you choose to describe New Zealand? If you're sitting next to someone now, you have a chance to compare notes. One word to describe New Zealand. All right. Do I have any suggestions? Anybody got any one words they'd like to use to describe New Zealand? What was that? Home. Home. Good word. Green, beautiful. What was that? Brown. Aotearoa. Oh, oh, that's good. One. I know you're not doing maths. You're doing physics, but. <laughs> oh yes. Okay. Yep. Any others? Jandals. <laughs> What's that? Kindness. Yeah, we like that. Peace. Sheep. Yep. What's that? Small. Little. Little, thank you. Yes. I, I need gonna need hearing aids it seems. Alright. Okay, now and then the um, the leader of Far Officer knows that you go to church and asks you, this one's trickier. What's one word you would choose to describe this what the salvational gospel is all about? One word. Yep. Ah, yep. Yep. What's that? Mercy. Mercy. Grace. Grace. Love. Love. Hope. I heard hope and I heard salvation. Acceptance. Acceptance. It's, it's trickier than you think, isn't it? I, I'm being a little bit cheeky here. Um, oh, sorry. That was... Uh, there's a, um, a, an outstanding little book that a biblical scholar has produced in which he called Cultural Intelligence, and he thought that if you asked people for one word to describe this. He thought words like grace, forgiveness, hope, salvation and judgment would come up. And then he said it always surprises him that he doesn't think the word reconciliation would make people's top five or even the church's top ten. And he says that the funny thing is that there's a place in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about us being ambassadors and when he picks a one-year word, and often Paul will pick the word hope, he talks about um, us being ambassadors of reconciliation. So, let's have a little read of uh, some scripture. From 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 onwards. So, we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Well, I'd like to say I've done that. At one time, we thought of Christ 
merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. I'm no great Greek scholar, but my understanding is that uh, a a literal translation uh, of of some of this is to say, if anyone in Messiah, new creation. And then he carries on. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. In Paul's eyes, we are ambassadors. We are people sent to represent. Now, Daryl Box says, and I think he's right, if you're ambassador, what it means is that you're representing some other country, which means that in this place, the place you're currently placed, it's a little bit foreign to you. And for Christians, that's true. We dream of a God's kingdom way of doing things, a place where we don't hate, where we don't do revenge, but we do do forgiveness, where we do mercy and grace. And that is a little foreign for us. And he says that if you're sent to a foreign country, well, you don't expect as ambassador that everybody will magically do things your way. In fact, you can pretty much guarantee in another country they won't, won't, well, I said that wrong, they won't do it that way. Those of you who have immigrated here are painfully aware of that. All sorts of Kiwi patterns that you think, you what? But we're not going to magically become your culture And that's how it is. If you want to be an ambassador, you have to engage on local people's terms and in their language. Ambassadors occasionally have messages from their homeland, and we don't get to decide them exactly. I'm sure that Claire Fernley wouldn't have been that excited to go to the Chinese representatives and say, "Ah, you know how you talked about gouging eyes? Um, Our response is, We've got the right to have an opinion about this. And with that, Daryl Box says that ambassadors don't get to ignore justice. And he actually points out that that last verses that we were reading in there, um, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And if, I don't know if you're aware, that word um, behind righteousness can equally be translated as justice. Justice matters. We want things to go right as an ambassador. Though. So if you're an ambassador, given that sometimes you may have very uncomfortable, heavy things to pass across, you want to do your best to build bridges, to make connections that might hold that weight. 
I'm indebted at this point to some South Africans who um, may be able to confirm this story. In the hole in New Zealand, bar the occasional disaster, when you are tramping in the bush and you come across a bridge, there'll be a sign, and it'll say four people on the bridge, eight people on the bridge. It'll, it'll tell you what it'll load. But I'm, I'm told, I'll come back to that, but when you travel, the South African I was talking to, uh, travel in South Africa, there's all sorts of bridges in the back box. And that person said to me, one of the tricks when you're travelling is you go up to the bridge and you think, okay, yep, it'll take my car, but it might not take that truck. Or, yes, I think I can send the person across there, but I don't think I can send a person and a heavy box. And that's kind of how all our relationships are, aren't they? You build relationships, but how much, how well built is the relationship? How much weight can you push across it? Ever been in the relationship when you think, I've really got something difficult I'd like to say to you, I just don't know if the relationship is strong enough to handle that? No? Okay, only an issue for me. If I, oh, I don't want to go that yet. If I just go back to that end comment. When Paul talks about us being ambassadors, he's suggesting that we, Christian people who are following Jesus, have this other world that is our home. Nice bit of language that someone used. And now we live here. So we already are in a foreign place. And every time you are engaging with someone else, well, I think you're working with another culture. In fact, I read this and I can't find it, so I, I suspect it's not true. Okay, but it's mildly funny, so I'm going to say it. Apparently, in media, the, the root of the word neighbour comes from nay, you know, to draw nigh to be close to someone. Yep. And boar, well, that's the boar who is nigh. <laughs> okay, I thought it was funny, but never mind. <laughs> They're people who are alongside you. You don't actually necessarily have to go out of your way, a long way out of your way, travel off overseas. There are people beside you all the time, nearby, people who are at hand. And we have words. We have a message of reconciliation for them. So what might help us build the kind of relationships that we could have a message of reconciliation? I want to get relatively practical. I want to show you a video clip and then suggest some questions that might be helpful. And remember, I'm probably talking as much to me as I am to you. But I did watch this clip and think, this is quite appropriate. So thinking about our neighbours, here's a little video clip from uh, a TV series, Ted Lasso. Say, Rupert Dukes? Yeah. Just let me know if I'm winning or losing, all right? <laughs> oh, I forgot I had these on. Oh, oh wait a second. I forgot I'm left-handed. Oh, this is going to be a hoot. Hmm. Mate, what do I need to win? 
fucking triple twenties in a bullseye. <laughs> Good luck. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. And I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions, you know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to I was 16 when he passed away. What I love about that clip is that Ted's a kind of geeky guy. He probably would have been the kind who'd be bullied and misunderstood at school, that kind of stuff. And he says, all these people, they made judgment calls on me, but none of them were curious. And then he said, actually, in the end, it, didn't ma it wasn't about me, with their calls that they made. They were just made up their minds about me at distance. None of them were curious enough to ask the question. And then he pivots to, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? If we're wanting to be ambassadors of reconciliation, I think we have to be curious. Genuinely interested in other people. Not just in, um, yes, we'd love to have souls come to Jesus, but interested in them for them. And that means accepting that other cultures than our own might be different and wondering why. I, I found a series of cartoons from a Chinese cartoonist who was trying to describe the difference between um, Chinese culture and, her, well, and American culture. How are you? So here's the scale. British, not too bad. Chinese, it's all right. And American, I'm doing great. And they all come out about the same. Where would you fit on that scale? What about this one? Actually, I spent time in Hong Kong. I still don't know what to do. When you're given a gift, let's just check. Who would open the gift in front of everybody else? And who really wants to take it away and open it alone? Oh, yeah, so we've already got those cultures expressed. I like this one. The British person saying to the American, you have to share your dorm room with one person? And the Chinese person saying, you share your dorm room with only one person. <laughs> that one speaks for itself, doesn't it? And the last one, why do we need so many knives, forks and spoons? <laughs> Ted's line is, Walt Mitland's line is, be curious, not judgmental. Wonder why. 
interested in the people around us. I had the, Linda and I had the terrible experience of having welcoming some Kiwi guests. They were farmers um, to Hong Kong, and they just could not cope with the mass of people. And so in the crowded underground station, they complained of being penned in like sheep, told us that there were just too many Chinese people, and we sat there thinking, 150 people on this platform, I imagine at least 30 speak English and I really wish you'd be quiet. <laughs> I can't find the Bible saying this, but I can find that Jesus asks an awful lot of questions of people. He's curious. Uh, some people think that Jesus, as being in nature, God has all the answers. Well, he does ask an awful lot of questions. Uh, maybe, maybe he knows that sometimes people need to say things. So he asks them, why do, you say, why do you ask me what is good? Who do you say that I am? Who are you looking for? What do you want? How do you see it? We had one person who reckoned Jesus asked 339 questions in the four Gospels. The point is, he was curious and willing to ask questions. Because questions aren't neutral. You can use them as a form of attack. You can use them as a compliment. Questions like, how come? Why, why do we need eight different kinds of knife, fork, or spoon? So here comes the pivot. I want to get practical. I want to tell you a story about a church that really intrigues me. This is a church where, on a Pentecost Sunday, someone read the passage in Acts 2, where Peter preached from the prophet Joel and shared this message from God, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. And then they went out for lunch afterwards. They were talking about Joel's testimony and a woman said to me, if what Joel said is true, why don't we treat people like that? And I asked what she meant and she continued, well, when people come to our food pantry, we ask people how poor they are rather than how rich they are. Peter's saying all people have God's spirit poured into them. Well, the minister didn't know what to say. He whispered in the end, you're right, we're working against our beliefs. We say in worship that God's spirit flows down on everyone and then we act like it isn't true. So they, he went away and they tried to work through what can we do as a church. So when they changed their questions, when people came in to ask for a food parcel, they started asking people, uh, do you look after your children or elders? Do you do it with your family? was part of a job or help out the neighbour. We asked people if people could fix up a drywall, plaster, a bit of plastering happening yesterday, fix a toaster, if they knew how to drive a car, if they knew how to play a musical instrument or garden. And then at the end of each interview, they would ask three more questions. Here are those three questions. What three things do you do well enough that you could teach them to someone else? Okay? Well, I would like to think about that for a moment. I started thinking, oh, I, c I can play guitar. I would happily teach someone play to play the guitar. I'm not a great guitar player, but, you know, there's an offer, there's one for me. Can you think of one for you? Things that you think you know well enough that you could teach someone else. All right? Second question they ask people, what are three things you'd like to learn that you don't already know? 
That one's a bit, I find that one a bit harder. Can you imagine what they started to do with these questions and answers? Well, they wrote them down on post-its and they stuck them up on the wall. And they went to the wall and went, oh, look at this. Jeremy would like to learn to play guitar. Actually, Colin knows how to play guitar. I wonder if I should try and connect them. They set out to try and connect people. Now, admittedly, it's flawed. Then they asked one other question. They asked, who besides God and me, that's the interviewer, is going to go along with you on the way? And that's a slightly odd question, isn't it? And people didn't know how to answer that question, so what they asked is they said, well, who celebrates your birthday with you? He'll be at your birthday party next year or at Christmas. Um, if you're interested in these questions, by the way, there are notes for this um, slightly incoherent service at the back. Um, they're also online on our website. They asked the last question because they thought when people came to the pantry, they often seemed to be feeling isolated and alone. And so they would answer the question with, there's no one. But when they asked who celebrated your last birthday, people would always name people. They were unaware of what they had. The point in asking these three questions is to be curious and to recognise that not everyone is poor in all things. It's to try and recognise that people are present and all have gifts. And so one of the first people who came to the food pantry after that was a neighbour, Adele, and uh, she had three generations of a family living at home and she was working part-time in the University of Notre Dame as a cook. She told us she was a good cook, and so the minister said, prove it. And uh, when asked what they meant, they asked her to cook a lunch one day for the staff. And the lunch she prepared was fantastic. And a couple of weeks after that, they heard the leaders of the neighbourhood organisation were planning to meet at a restaurant, and the church secretary said to them, don't do that. Meet here at the church and let Adele cook you lunch. This is from a book called Having Nothing, Possessing Everything. How did I get here from Ambassadors of Reconciliation? I get here because in my life as a follower of Jesus, I've often been taught how to lead people to Jesus and the focus has been to start with people and saying how bad they are. Because... Uh, you highlight the problem in people's lives. And uh, look, we do want to solve the problems in people's lives. Seldom have I seen people encouraged to be curious. Ask, what are the riches in your life? How could you share those with others? I suspect that approach is a little bit closer to being ministers of reconciliation. I don't think it's exclusionary. I find myself wondering some what-ifs. What if we were curious about the people who were nigh, who were nearby? What if I could answer those questions about the three things I know well enough to teach for my neighbour? What do they know well enough to teach? 
What if we were seeking to connect people and our opening questions for others assumed you have something to offer and something to receive? I think that's fundamental to the idea of church, actually. Jesus at the centre, and then oh, the way I read Paul talking about it is everybody has something to offer. It's not supposed to be a spectator sport. And what if we were able to connect them? So I don't know if this is at all realistic, but what if we did this ourselves? And I'm quite keen to answer those three questions for ourselves. And which ones would we be willing to share so that other people knew? And what if we chatted with people around our neighbourhood, asked the same questions? What do you think would happen if we were able to connect people who had that combination? I briefly wondered about a Parklands Polly, about a, an evening a month where you get together and someone would teach about something they knew. Two or three people would teach about one something I knew. I understand when the um, Parklands Craft Group first started... I understand that's how it started. There wasn't just a table of people who did cards, but there was someone at that table who said, I'm going to show you how to build this card. And at a number table, there was someone at the table saying, I'm going to show you how to do this. So it came from this exchanging thing. What if we sought to connect them? Oh, have we lost the display? We have. Oh, the projector, it turns off, it packs a sad every so often, doesn't it? No, no, we have to turn the projector off and on again. I, how sad is that? I have bored the projector to death. <laughs> well, fair enough. This is part of what goes on me in me when I am dreaming of a Parklands of the future. I want people to know Jesus. I want people to know the good news of Jesus. And I think that we actually have got people around us who are at hand. And I think that there are ways of connecting with the people around us that are positive, that give them something to offer, allow them to offer from themselves. And I don't actually personally fear that we will lose Jesus at the centre of that, because I believe that Jesus is Lord. And I think that, well, what I read... What I hear is that God works through genuinely us, what's and all. So I find myself dreaming about how can we be better connected with each other? How can we ask questions of others and be genuinely curious? What would that look like if we were? On the assumption that God is present in our midst. On the assumption that God wants this more than we do. And so, back to those three questions. I intend to be asking these questions. I'd like us to be chatting about it in small groups. I'd like us to be thinking and dreaming. I'd love you to come to Pearl Night to talk about vision and to pray, but I'd love you to be thinking and engaging in conversation with others, thinking about what is some of the gift that you bring by being you. Sound all right? All right, then. I'm going to ask you, what I'm going to do is we're going to do a benediction, and then I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and you can say, oh, Colin, let's hope he doesn't get too many colds, or 
oh, I'm interested in that question. I don't mind how you chat. That will bring us the benedictionary thing that brings us to the end of the service, but I'd like you to talk to someone next to you. And then you can have a cup of coffee and float around. I will flick out those three questions on the web to you. No, no, it's right. <laughs> can you um, bring up the benediction? Look at that, magic. With me. Our service has not ended. It has only just begun. For God is with us every moment of every day. Go then and offer the worship God desires. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God every step along the way. May the Spirit of God be present in all of us. May we be surprised at the wonder of the people around us. May our conversations and our lives be part of the reconciliation of others to each other and to the God that loves them. Amen. Amen. Cheers.